Welcome back to the podcast Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 166, Hidden Righteousness. And on the podcast this week, we are going to look at the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. And we will notice a bit of a transition that Jesus makes between our chapter 5 and what we have labeled as chapter 6. Chapter 5, if you would remember, is mostly about righteousness that should be present, but usually isn't in the hearts and in the attitudes and behaviors of God's people. Chapter 6 pivots a little bit and acknowledges righteousness that everyone knew should be present, but it then turns and addresses what our own individual attitude toward that righteousness is and begins to look at the motives behind why we actually do that kind of righteousness in the first place. And so there really is no escape from the kind of right living that Jesus is calling citizens of his kingdom to be a part of. And so I think chapter six is probably more familiar to many of you than even chapter five was, but we will take our time working through chapter six and hopefully we'll be um, drawn into the presence of Jesus and can see things in our own lives that we need to repent of and um, begin to change. So let's just get right into it. As we begin this week's episode, allow me just to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, as I said in the introduction, chapter 5 of Matthew is really all about Jesus' teaching regarding righteousness that should be present in the lives of his followers, but oftentimes is not. And chapter 6 shifts a little bit and actually begins to address righteousness that everyone knew should be present, but what our attitude should be toward that righteousness. And so, as I also said, there, there really is no escape in the kind of depth that Jesus wants to take righteousness in his kingdom, which he has already explained, is supposed to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus attempts to address this idea of righteousness that everyone knew should be present, and he addresses it toward three things. These were some of the three main areas of quote-unquote righteousness that, that were typically present in the life of a righteous person, and that was giving alms to the poor, praying, and fasting. Um, uh, today, I, I think we kind of have some of our own uh, Bible reading tends to surface fairly high in the minds of, of some people, um, how involved you are in your church, right? Um, the type of, of willingness you are as a parent to drive your kids all over the, the town to let them participate in every activity, whatever it happens to be that is the mark of what a good and godly, you know, spiritual person does, Jesus is here addressing these things. And what he does in this passage is he really goes after motive. And motive 
is for sure a hidden righteousness, um, hence the title of this episode. But motive is something that is not often explored. Um, now, if, if you go to a courtroom of some kind and, and a crime has been committed, the attorneys, um, especially the prosecuting attorney, will spend a lot of time talking about motive because if motive can be proven, then that will um, increase the sentencing. It will increase the, the punishment as a result of the crime. If motive cannot be proven, if it's just an act of passion, let's say, um, then the, the crime is lessened. And so, of course, Jesus is interested in the pure in heart. Jesus is interested in kingdom righteousness. He's interested in a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And so he not only addresses righteous living that should be present among his disciples but isn't, but he also addresses the kinds of things they all assumed if you did, that meant you were righteous. Jesus is saying, ah, yes, but the motives for which you do those things must also be pure or else the quote-unquote righteous deed itself is of no value. Now, that's really what Jesus is getting into here. And so he addresses the three most common areas, giving, praying, and fasting. And we'll see a similar pattern. He cautions people against doing these things in order to be seen by other people um, because he says then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So according to Jesus, a truly kingdom-oriented, kingdom-righteousness-seeking person does in fact do what he or she does in order to be honored properly and rewarded properly by our Father in heaven. But what Jesus does here is he introduces us to the subtle and yet very real temptation there is to also desire other people to see what you can do, to see the kinds of actions you participate in and want to give you congratulations. And that's what he's addressing here. And so he talks about giving to the needy and not sounding a trumpet before you. In other words, not making a royal announcement, not drawing attention to yourself. He says, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So Jesus is pointing out that the motives involved in doing the right thing should not be for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves. Now, what's really interesting when you look at the Sermon on the Mount in general is that in chapter 5, Jesus actually talks about us being the light of the world. He talks about a city set on a hill that can't be hidden And nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, one of the things that I've always found fascinating is that in chapter 5, that passage right there that I read about being the light of the world, Jesus says to let your works be seen by others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And yet here in chapter 6, he's telling us not to let our giving and our praying and our fasting be seen by other people in order to receive praise from them. 
And so this is why Jesus is not here in the Sermon on the Mount presenting us with a new law. He's not here presenting us with some literalistic wooden um, presentation of a commandment that we now as Christians are to um, follow to the letter of the law just like um, we thought we were supposed to with the old covenant. No, because if you do that, you get yourself in trouble because it almost appears as if there are two distinctly different types of commands. And I think if we think about this with as much of our focus on Jesus as we possibly can, I think we can begin to make sense of this distinction, but it does require us to use a bit of discernment, to use a bit of wisdom. It's like the the proverb in, in Proverbs chapter 26, which talks about not answering a fool according to his folly or you will become just like him. And then in the very next verse, it tells us to answer a fool according to his folly so that that fool might actually see how foolish he's being. And it's really hilarious to me that two verses that say the exact opposite thing are right next to each other in the book of Proverbs. But that's because Proverbs also is not a wooden literalistic, um, you know, this is exactly what you do in this situation. It's, it's opening us up to the reality that in the world, wisdom and discernment are needed to understand what is the motive, what is going on here, what is the set of circumstances that I'm faced with, and how do I respond appropriately in the face of those circumstances. And I think one of the differences between letting our light shine before others so that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven, and Jesus saying, do not do your righteous deeds before other people in order to be seen by them, one of the most easy, easily detected differences is that letting our light shine before others, according to Matthew 5, is for the purpose of people giving glory to our Father who is in heaven is that the actions that we participate in and the way that we handle ourselves in sight of the world is for the purpose of drawing people's attention to how great God is. To look at the work that he has done through his people, look at the way that he has transformed his people, God is to be praised as a result of that light shining in the world. Here in Matthew chapter 6, the motive is not God. The motive is you. The motive is you wanting people to see how much you've striven to be a righteous person and how hard you've worked to be a godly person. And as we'll see in chapter 7 is oftentimes what gives people, especially religious people, the justified feeling that they can judge other people based upon how well they live out these righteous standards and how poorly apparently the rest of the world does. And I would say that self-righteousness is the number one cause for why judgment happens in the world and why Jesus is wise to address it here. But I would also point out that one of the distinctions between letting your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven versus not letting your work shine or, or letting your righteous deeds be seen by other people in order for you to be praised by them is the natural reality that some of us by nature are drawn to be a bit reserved. We, we don't always say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. We don't always do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And others of us love to say 
what oftentimes doesn't need to be said when it needs to be said or done what doesn't need to be done when it doesn't need to be done. And so even on a personality level, there are some among us who never speak up when they should, who don't shine light in the presence of others so that they may be reflective of how good God is. Instead, they keep to themselves. They're quiet and they're private. And they might be tempted to think that their hidden righteousness is righteous because they never tell anybody about it. Well, Jesus knows that not everybody's wired that way. And for people that are, they are to work hard to make sure that God knows or that the world knows that it's God who's behind their actions, not just them. But then for the people that always share what they do with other people and never keep things to themselves. This is a reminder to recognize that sometimes the motives are get twisted and get skewed. And it's um, important for us to realize that that is happening and to make sure that we are guarded against doing what we do before other people in order to be seen by them. But I think one of the, the most powerful verses in the section I read from Matthew 6 is what we see in verse 3. Because most of us think about doing righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, we imagine that that simply means people um, who might be tempted to look at us. And I have met many Christians who work hard to make sure that they don't do what they do before other people, but they are very much aware of it themselves that they haven't done their righteous deeds to be noticed by other people and they spend a lot of their time congratulating themselves for that. But I want you to notice what Jesus points out in verse three. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, Jesus here is saying, I'm not just wanting you to guard yourself against doing your works of righteousness before others in order to be noticed by them. I also want you to do your righteous deeds for the benefit of other people so that not even you notice what you are doing. I remember the very first time that I ever came across this passage and realized, oh my, I may not brag about my accomplishments before other people, but I certainly feel good about myself for the righteous deeds that I've done. And sometimes I even feel good about myself for the righteous deeds I've done that I've chosen not to tell other people about. And then I notice people around me who spend their time telling each other, about their righteous accomplishments, and they want you to congratulate them for how spiritual they are. And I remember not congratulating that person because I don't feel that that's really my place to be telling them how good they are since they seem to already know that full well. But then I remember within my own head and in my own heart thinking about how much better I was than they were because I didn't go around asking for people to congratulate me based upon my righteousness. In other words, I certainly let my left hand know what my right hand was doing, and I was clapping together with both of those hands for myself 
in my own presence, congratulating myself on how superior I was to that other person because I wasn't drawing attention to my own righteous deeds. Ouch. According to Jesus, that is not a motive that is pure in heart because my left hand very much knew what my right hand was doing and I was using both of those hands to applaud myself. And Jesus says, keep it out of the picture. The focus of our righteous deeds, the focus of our acts are for the blessing of other people and for the honor and glory of God. That is it. He talks about repeatedly our giving may be in secret. The things that we do, we don't want to be like the hypocrites who stand in the streets with the trumpets. They already got their reward. When somebody comes up to them and says, wow, you are such a godly person. If your motive in doing what you have done was to get that kind of response, then that brief moment of response and warm, fuzzy feelings and that sense of pride and ego that swells up briefly inside you that you receive, which is very real and we experience it as real, Jesus simply says, there's your reward. That was your motive for doing what you did. And when you got that brief rush of a sense of feeling good, that's your reward. So I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. He's not threatening us by telling us how terrible we are if we do our things before other people. What he's saying is the reward that other people can give to us by saying, wow, you're so spiritual. Wow, you're such a good Christian. Wow, I can't believe that that is happening in your life. If those were the motives you had for saying what you did or doing what you did, that is all the reward you're going to receive. Now, by Jesus stating it in that way, what he is implying is that the reward you stand to gain from your father who is in heaven is far greater, far richer, of far more value, of far more substance and meaning and significance than you would ever receive from the people who offer you thanks and praise. Now, again, don't read this passage woodenly. Don't be afraid when somebody comes up to you after you have done something with a pure motive. You have genuinely helped someone who was in need. You genuinely pray or you genuinely fast and somebody notices. That does not mean that the reward you stand to receive from God is revoked now because a person offered you some type of praise. And I've heard this a lot. People will come up to me at the end of a of a sermon or of a teaching. I've seen others who've played beautiful music and somebody thanks them for their worship, said that the service was really meaningful. And I have noticed people, and myself included, who have been so afraid of the motives that might be at work under the surface and afraid to receive a compliment, lest that be the extent of their reward, that they just blow off the compliment. And they say something like, well, that's not me. That was all God. Okay, no, 
Um, actually, you were the one who played that beautiful music. You were the one that led us in worship. You were the one that spent time and energy crafting a lesson or a sermon or a devotional talk, and it really was meaningful and beneficial to the people who received it. So if they thank you, which to them is their act of worship and gratitude and respect for the work that people have put in. If they thank you, you can receive that as a genuine compliment. If your motive was to teach and to lead worship and to play music in order to get those compliments, then that is the extent of your reward. If your motive in leading music or in leading worship or in teaching or in preaching was to faithfully present the truth in a way that allowed God's people to enter into worship of God, and in the process, those people thank you for that offering of service to them, receive it. Say, you're welcome. Say, I'm so glad that that was meaningful to you. That really meant a lot to me for you to say that then you are fine. Because once again, their thankfulness to God, their giving glory to God is being expressed in their thanking of you. And so now perhaps that act was your light shining before others and they were seeing your good works and giving glory to your father in heaven. And I want you to understand the way the Bible speaks, giving glory to God and loving God and honoring God is almost always done by respecting and by loving and by treating their neighbors as themselves. And so many people know what has happened in your life to put together such a great worship service or put together such a great devotional or to put together such a great teaching. And they want to express their thanks by offering to you appreciation. You can receive it as such without being afraid that you are only receiving that kind of reward. This all goes down to motive. And here's the beautiful thing about it. This is ultimately why I think Paul doesn't even talk about judging himself or allowing other people to judge him because the fact is God himself knows the depths of the human heart. God himself can strip away the motives and the hidden motives and the impure motives from the pure motives. And at the end of the day, he's ultimately the one who is going to meet us in those places with more of his presence or more of our own infatuation with our own righteousness. That's basically the, the, the way that it's going to turn in the end. He's going to show us. He's going to make it clear what the motives actually were. And here, I think Jesus is drawing our attention. I, I just, verse three, I have never gotten over it. Um, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do not even notice yourself that you are doing these wonderful things. And again, I think it does not mean that you blow it off right away. Well, it's nothing, you know, I, I, I'm only doing what I, you know, whatever, it's all God, it's not me. Well, that's not true. You very well may have put forth genuine effort and you can say, thank you. I really appreciate that. Because a big part of our society is learning how not only to be sure we thank people when they offer us words of compliment and encouragement, but that we also learn how to receive that. 
Because granted, if the people who were giving us those compliments really thought it was all God and not us, they would just tell God. But they're not doing that. They're telling us. And our ability to receive a compliment, let it be the encouragement to us that it is meant to be without letting that compliment go to our heads such that we think and begin to want to, you know, we, we begin to crave that type of attention and that type of affirmation. And now we start going out and doing more righteous deeds in order to be noticed by those other people. Then it becomes corrupt. Jesus is here talking about the pure, unadulterated righteousness that his kingdom is after. And when people genuinely do righteous deeds for the benefit and blessing of others, and for the glory that God stands to receive, the kinds of blessings we then receive from God, not from ourselves, not from our manipulating the circumstances or for manipulating people's emotions and behavior in order to get something from them, but when we genuinely serve them and when we genuinely serve God and when we genuinely open ourselves up to whatever motives may be at work under the surface, then Jesus is offering us the reality that our Father who is in heaven will reward us in manifold different kinds of ways and at different times such that we will receive far greater reward than we could have ever mustered up for ourselves. That's what he's teaching us. He's teaching us what I think and have grown in, in some measure of understanding is a deep sense of satisfaction and value that only comes from him. Knowing that I am genuinely encouraging and uplifting and challenging other Christians to live out a life of faithfulness. And when I see their genuine appreciation for that, there's a real sense coming from my father who is in heaven that that action and that that sermon or that conversation or that hard conversation was a true blessing to them and is now also a blessing to me. That's a reward that I would much rather experience than fishing for someone's positive comment when they notice how generous I am. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced anything like this, but I've been on the receiving end of someone genuinely giving, not letting their left hand know what their right hand is doing, at least not in my mind, but doing their acts of righteousness not to be seen by other people. And it was when my wife and I were first married. We were both college students. We both had um, very part-time jobs, part-time meaning like, 10, 12, 15 hours a week. I was a, a um, landscaping guy at one of our, uh, at the university we attended. I, you know, grounds crew, I guess is what we called ourselves. I would mow lawns and pick up trash and blow leaves and all that kind of stuff at the university. And my wife worked in the library. I mean, we made like $6 an hour. I mean, it wasn't very much money at all. But it was what we were doing, and we lived in a really small town, and I actually remember not even locking our door to our tiny 500-square-foot apartment. I mean, we just – I don't know why, but the campus was like a mile away, and we just – anyway, but we both came home 
for an, on the evening one time and noticed um, when we walked in the door, our kitchen table was right there. And there were a couple of bags of groceries on our kitchen table. And there was an envelope next to the bags. And we opened up the envelope and there was 10 $20 bills um, in the envelope. And all that was there was a little piece of paper that said Philippians 4.19. And it said, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glory and riches in Christ Jesus. And that's all that the note said. It wasn't signed. It wasn't dated. I couldn't read the writing. I mean, I could read the writing. I couldn't identify the writing. But someone had bought us two bags of groceries and given us $200 cash. And all they said was, God will meet all your needs. Well, my gosh. I mean, my first thought was, holy crap, somebody came into my house and, you know, could have robbed us and I didn't even notice. But then it, you know, that kind of fizzled out and I thought, well, okay, well, the person who chose to walk in must know us. They, they must know something about our financial situation. Didn't pity us, but didn't want us to even know who had given us the money. And I remember feeling really funny. Like I wanted to tell all kinds of people about this. And I kept remember, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder if the next person I go and tell about this, I wonder if they're the person who did it, you know? And so I was trying to figure it out and thinking about it. And my wife finally was like, Josh, stop doing that. They didn't want to be identified. They genuinely wanted to do something for the benefit of somebody else, not to be noticed by those people but they genuinely just wanted to help us. And she was right. And so I stopped looking around trying to figure it out who it was. Instead, just gave glory to my father in heaven because somebody provided for us at a time when we really needed it. And what a huge blessing that was. And I really hope and pray that whoever that person is has received a hundredfold blessing, maybe in money, maybe in groceries, maybe just in the knowledge that God provides for his people through the faithful obedience of his other people. And that that is enough of a, you know, of a meaningful exchange for them. But I, I wish them nothing but the best. I wish them blessings from him. I hope you at some point in your life are on the receiving end of that kind of benevolence and kindness and that you genuinely do thank God for people like that in your life. And so that's all the time I have for this week's episode. I'm excited. Uh, the sermon continues to convict me every single time I read it. I hope it's doing the same for you. I've noticed several new listeners on the podcast. I think some of my weekly downloads have, have made a surge in the past couple of weeks. And so if, if you've been kind enough to extend these episodes to a friend, and maybe that's where the extra listens are coming from, I really appreciate that genuinely. And so I am thankful for you. And um, as always, if you know of others who might be interested in listening to the podcast, please pass on this, uh, the information to them. If you haven't yet left me a rating or a review, I would ask that you would do both on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to these episodes. If you have access to Apple Podcasts, iTunes, that, that thing. That's where I seem to get the most traction for ratings or reviews, so I would love it if you would take a few minutes today and um, give me a rating and review on that podcast app. So again, that's all the time we have. I hope you have a fantastic week, and I will talk to you next time.